0: Shapiro is the author of the national bestseller, Clean Meat, How Growing Meat Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner and the World, the CEO of the Better Meat Company, and a four-time TEDx speaker, and the host of the Business for Good podcast. Paul Shapiro, welcome to the One Planet podcast.
1: Thanks, Mia. Great to be with you.
0: We're all thinking, or we all should be thinking about what is the future of meat? What is the future of agriculture? How are we going to feed this planet without feed ourselves in a healthy manner, without polluting the planet? So just tell me a little bit about how you started the Better Meat Company and why you decided you wanted to be part of the solution.
1: Sure, Mia. Well, it's no longer any secret that... Raising animals for food just takes a lot of land, a lot of water, a lot of greenhouse gas emissions, a lot of animal cruelty, and more. And the planet is not getting any bigger. Humanity's footprint on the planet is getting a lot bigger, but the planet itself is not getting any bigger. And so the question is, how can we reduce our footprint, or really maybe our food print on the planet at a time when people want more and more meat? Because as I just mentioned, it just takes a lot of resources to raise animals for food. And you know we already have nearly 8 billion of us walking around the planet. And pretty soon, within 30 years or so, we might have another 2 billion of us on the planet. So if the planet isn't getting any bigger, we're not going to be farming the moon, we're not going to be farming Mars, we only have one planet to farm. How are we going to feed all these billions of people a diet that has a lot of meat in it and not destroy the planet and therefore ourselves and the other species on the planet in the process? And so I believe that the answer to this is in trying to create a meat-like experience for people using food technology with a much smaller footprint. So producing a meat-like experience, but with way less land, way less water, way fewer greenhouse gas emissions. And the way that you do that is by divorcing meat from animals. And so we at the Better Meat Co. are pioneering a fermentation technology that allows us to turn whole foods like potatoes into meat-like foods within less than a day. And I'm eager to talk about that.
0: Yes, and that is really amazing. And there are different options. I mean, some people have the, their reservations about, just to be clear, you're not on the end of the lab based meat, and you're not completely or perhaps you are because i understand you're like a business to business where you're creating a plant-based product that will be integrated into some of the meat products that we have that we currently eat but do you also have plans or do you also create this plant-based protein just for direct sale and consumption
1: sure well i think it'd be helpful to elaborate on that a little bit so if you think about clean energy you know the problem of fossil fuels is so severe that you want lots of alternatives. So you don't just want solar. You don't just want geothermal. You don't just want wind. You want lots of different alternatives to fossil fuels. Well, similarly, the problem of factory farms is so bad. It's so severe that you want lots of alternatives. So Mia, you mentioned the idea of growing real meat from animal cells. That's not what we at the Better Meat Co. do, but it is one idea. And it's being pioneered by dozens of startups who are working to commercialize real animal meat that is simply grown from animal cells rather than animal slaughter. I wrote a book on this topic. The book is called Clean Meat, How Growing Meat Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner and the World. However, it's not the only idea that's out there. So you can also, instead of growing animal cells, you can, for example, turn plants into foods that look like animal meat. So companies like Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat are out there taking crops like soybeans and peas and turning them into foods that really do look and taste like an animal's meat. Alternatively, you can also use fermentation to turn microbes into foods that look and taste like meat. And that's what we at the Better Meat Co. do. And as you correctly point out, Mio, we are a B2B ingredients company. So we're business to business. We don't sell products that you're going to see on the shelf with our name on them. We sell our ingredients to food companies for them to put into their products. Now, some of them blend our microbial protein or plant-based proteins into their actual animal meat so that they can reduce the footprint of their meat. So in the same way that you might you know, have a hybrid car, you could have hybrid meats that have real animal meat and have plant-based protein in them as well. Or you could use our ingredients as the basis of fully plant-based products in addition. So that's what we do. And we are proud to be part of the solution, but we don't think we're the only solution, but we do think we're a particularly promising solution.
0: It's interesting because I was wondering why you chose to, I mean, having reading the book Clean Meat why you decided that pathway. Was it because of some of these other solutions are perhaps already covered or in the case of lab grown meat will take a bit of while for people to accept it and come to fruition?
1: Yeah, I don't think it's so much about the acceptance, Mia, as much as it's the other point that you just made, which is how long it will take to come to fruition. So uh, I think that lots of people are quite eager to eat clean meat, which again, clean meat is real meat grown from animal cells rather than animal slaughter. Uh, that term is used to, as an indication, for example, of like clean energy. But I, I do think a lot of people will eat it. Maybe not everybody, but I think a lot of people just want the experience of meat. You know, it's like when you flick a light switch on in a room, what you want is the experience of an illuminated room. You're not thinking about whether it came from renewables or whether it came from fossil fuels. You just want light. Well, I think a lot of people just want meat. And if we can deliver that in a cost-effective and delicious way for them, they'll be happy with it. And I think that's going to be the case with queen meat. The problem with queen meat is solely that it's going to take a long time before it's making any real dent in the market. Plant-based meat, after all, has been on the market for decades and still has not reached 1% of the total meat market. Queen meat is not really on the market at all with the exception of a minor amount of it being sold in Singapore, which is a historic event for the first time ever this product is being sold somewhere on the planet, which is great by a company called Eat Just. However, it's still, it's just going to take a long time. It's not approved for regular, by regulatory authorities yet of the United States or in any other, you know, the European Union or in any other major country, but it is approved in Singapore, which is fantastic. And so I just think it's going to take a long time though, and maybe even upwards of a decade before you start seeing it making a dent in meat consumption. And the problem is so urgent. It's so severe. What we're doing to the planet and to animals inside of factory farms that I think, we need more nearer-term solutions. Yes, we also need these long-term solutions like clean meat, but we also need a nearer-term solution. And that's why I am personally pursuing the fermentation route.
0: No, I think it's great. We need to do what we can do now and not think too far ahead. I had read, and I'm not sure if it's optimistic, that by 2030, then the lab-based meat would become price competitive. And then by 2040, like it could dominate the market, but i I don't know how realistic mm-hmm. those projections are.
1: You know, your guess is as good as mine, Mia. I have seen those same predictions. I certainly hope that they're true. I will only point out that plant-based meat has been on the market for decades and is still not cost competitive with animal meat most of the time. So how long will that take? I think it'll take some time. But I wouldn't put it past them. You know, you look at the first supercomputer, and how much that cost. And now we all have supercomputers in our pockets that are way more powerful than the first supercomputers. So that cost came down sufficiently that we can make products even better for cheaper. So hopefully that same type of like a Moore's law type effect will occur in the food technology realm that will allow for technologies like animal cell culture, but also like fermentation of certain microbes and so on to actual meat-like experiences for very little money. So... I'm hoping that those predictions are right, but let's just keep in mind the planet is warming extremely rapidly. Animal agriculture is a big component of climate change and pandemic risk and more. We need near-term solutions that can make a dent in meat consumption in the next few years. And unless we think that people are just going to become vegetarians or decide they want to eat a lot less meat, we need something to satiate that meat tooth, so to speak, that doesn't involve raising animals for food.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And but one thing that you had mentioned that the plant-based meat, it wasn't price competitive. I do believe there are so many subsidies for agriculture. And if it meat was really the true cost, you just talk about just even the transport and the storage and all these other costs. I believe it's something like nine times The calories must be fed to an animal in in order for us to consume one calorie of meat flesh. So if those costs weren't over subsidized, then I really feel that the plant based diet or the clean meat options that you're saying would be price competitive. It's just unfairly tipped the other direction.
1: There certainly are are lots of ways that the public is supporting animal agriculture to artificially reduce the cost, whether that's subsidies of things like corn and soy, which are the top feed ingredients for most farm animals, or whether it is the externalized costs that aren't being paid by these companies, like for example, the environmental damage, the animal cruelty that is inflicted on the chickens, and the turkeys and the pigs and so on. And so the public health consequences, which are not borne by the companies, the increased risk of uh, heart disease and type two diabetes that we know are associated with a high meat diet and so on. So there's certainly lots of costs related to meat that you don't pay at the supermarket when you buy it. At the same time, it's very hard to change those type of public policies, really, really hard, especially when you consider how big and influential the meat industry is. So I think that probably the easier solution is to have governments actually support these alternative proteins. And so in the same way that governments around the world are now funding and subsidizing research into solar, wind, and other types of clean energy, the governments ought to also be subsidizing and supporting research into clean meat and other types of alternative proteins that are more sustainable. So we saw in the United States, the really the monumental grant that the National Science Foundation just gave to UC Davis to study cultivated meat. Again, it's just a synonym for clean meat, cultivated meat. And so the National Science Foundation uh, just granted UC Davis three and a half million dollars to study cultivated meat. That's really great, but it's a drop in the bucket compared to what the government is giving to animal agriculture in the form of surplus buy-ups and other types of things. So it's a good start, but we need to do more.
2: Your meat enhancer seems to work for the frozen meat product. It can sound very unnatural to food naturalism like me, who always try to avoid purchasing processed meat and frozen goods. So would your product or idea help this type of people to eat less meat?
1: Sure, well, our products make meat better. So you're going to get meat that has less saturated fat, less cholesterol, fewer calories, more fiber, and a much lighter footprint on the planet. So the ingredients that we use are all natural and they're non-genetically modified. And so what we're doing is essentially offering you a way to enjoy better meat. So for example, if you go to, let's say a Jamba Juice, and they ask you, you know, do you wanna boost your smoothie with matcha or hemp seeds or whatever other you know, ingredient that you're thinking you might want? When you say yes, and you get those added, you don't really think of yourself as getting less smoothie. You just think of yourself as getting a better smoothie. Sure, it has more ingredients in it now, but it's better. You think that it's actually an enhanced product because there are these things in there that you want. Well, in the case of the Better Meat Co. formulas, these are meat enhancers. They make the product better. So you're gonna get more fiber, better flavor, all natural, less saturated fat, and so on. And so really by blending meat, you end up getting better meat that people will want rather than a product that's just solely meat, which has zero grams of fiber, is oftentimes loaded with saturated fat and more.
0: And as someone who's really thought about, because previous to the Better Meat Company, you were at the Humane Society for the United States for 13 years. I was. Yeah. And so you've really uh, been thinking about animal welfare and must really know, I think many of us choose to turn a blind eye to the conditions in factory farming, the antibiotics, and you just go into that a little bit in your history, you know, thinking about animal welfare.
1: Sure. So in short, I really believe that future generations are going to be horrified when they learn what we did to animals. Um, especially animals who we raise for food. Now, most people don't want to hear that much about it, so I won't go into any great detail, but let me just simply say, if you consider, for example, how the chickens who are eaten are raised, nearly all of them have been genetically selected to grow so big, so fast, that many of them have difficulty even walking a few steps just prior to collapsing underneath their own bulk. They live wing to wing by tens of thousands in windowless warehouses where they're sitting in their feces all day long. And when it comes time to slaughter them, you know, most people don't want to hear about what happens next. Similarly, if you think about what happens in the pork industry, millions of pigs are locked inside of crates where they are so narrow, they can't even turn around for their whole lives. These aren't temporary holding crates. For years on end, these pigs are living in cages where they can't even turn around. They can stand up and lay down and that's it. We wouldn't treat the most heinous criminals in our society that way. We wouldn't take murderers and rapists and put them in jail cells so small they can't even turn around. But what crime have these pigs or these chickens committed? And of course the answer is none. They just simply were not born human and so we treat them in ways that are absolutely cruel and inhumane. So I don't want to dwell on this except to say that I really do think that what we're doing to animals on factory farms is terrible. And the more that people think about it, the less comfortable they are with it, which is why most people choose not to think about it at all. But the animals don't have the choice not to think about it. They are there suffering in their cages and in these factory farms to produce meat and eggs and milk for humanity. And I really believe that we can create better technologies than animals. We've exploited animals for a very long time, but it doesn't have to be that way. For examples, you know, for thousands of years, we used horses as our means of labor. Then we stopped using horses because we invented cars. We used to light our homes with whale oil and there was a massive whaling industry to kill these whales in the oceans in order to take their oil and create light. Well, then we invented kerosene and eventually electric light bulbs that ended up destroying the whaling industry because we no longer needed whale oil. So I think similarly to how technology has freed whales and horses from being exploited by humanity, for the most part, of course, there still is some whaling, there's still some horse use, but for the most part, compared to what it once was like, these technologies have done a lot of good for animal welfare. I think similarly, the type of technologies that we're talking about here are going to do a lot for the chickens and the pigs and the turkeys and other farm animals who certainly need assistance.
0: Yes. And just to go in a little bit about the methane gas uh, emissions, is that that are caused by animals? Is that exacerbated by our treatment of them? I just never understood that process.
1: Sure. Well, you're correctly identifying that cattle and other ruminants produce a lot of methane or methane, depending on what part of the world you're from. And they do that largely because of the fermentation system that is their bodies. And they're producing a lot of methane through that process. Most of it comes out essentially as burps from these animals that happens during their rumination period. And that's a real problem. So no, it's not so much about the treatment as just about inherent to that particular type of agriculture where you're raising ruminant animals. But I do want to be clear, it's not just the ruminant animals who are contributing to climate change, because even for animals, ruminants who are monogastric, meaning they have one stomach like chickens, you know, these animals are eating a lot of feed and it takes a lot of land to grow all of that feed. So you have to deforest a lot and then run agriculture on all this land. So if we were not dependent on raising animals for food, we could free up huge amounts of land in order to either rewild it, deep reforest it put it back into wetlands whatever we want to do that we could actually do something good for the planet with it and have native wildlife come back and living on it and so yes the methane is a big problem but even so you're talking about the real issue is how much feed is grown for all these farm animals even the non-ruminants and that's a big one
0: and you yourself are you vegetarian i am And when, how did you come to that decision? So
1: in 1993, Mia, I was a a very young teenager and a friend of mine showed me a video about what happens. Now, keep in mind in 1993, there was no YouTube, there was no internet. It was just like a VHS tape that he showed me. And for your listeners who are not old enough to know a VHS tape was once YouTube, that was YouTube for us. We have these plastic things that we put in machines and they showed us a video. And basically I saw what happened to animals inside of slaughter plants and factory farms. And it was very distressing to me. I kept thinking, what if those were my dogs? Now, what if those are my dogs who were in there? Now, I know you did a, an interview with Peter Singer as well. So hopefully your listeners will go back and listen to that interview. But he wrote a, a very fantastic book that I read at that time called Animal Liberation. And that book had a profound impact on me and the way that I viewed the world. And so I became a vegetarian at age 13, and I have been so for nearly 30 years.
0: And that's another reason why you wouldn't become involved in the lab-grown meat. Or clean meat. Well,
1: you know, my interest in plant-based eating has to do with animal welfare. So because clean meat does not involve slaughtering animals, I actually don't have any concern about it at all. I don't really think it matters whether vegetarians eat it. You know, the goal is to get meat consumers to eat it. But I don't think it matters much whether vegetarians eat it, but I have eaten it. When it's out on the market, I probably will occasionally eat it. But to be honest with you, Mia, I'm pretty happy eating bean and rice burritos and lentil soup and hummus. Like, you know, for me, like tofu is a great food. I really love it. So I'm not so concerned about needing that meat experience for myself, although every once in a while I do enjoy it, like with with plant-based meat.
2: I know a lot of people don't realize issues associated with animal welfare and climate change when eating meat, but hybridized meat could really be something new and bring their attention to these types of topics. But I'm just wondering how far will the hybridized trend go, and do you have other plans if the trend shut off someday? Hmm,
1: Yeah, I think it's going to go actually pretty far. So in the past, many people have thought about protein as being synonymous with a hunk of flesh from a once living animal's body. However, in the future, I think protein is going to have a far more diverse definition in most people's minds. So yes, you'll probably still have animal protein, but you're also going to have protein coming from animal cells, protein coming from plants, protein coming from fermentation, protein that is coming from combinations or hybrids of animal cells and plant proteins together. And I think that in the same way that right now, if you go fill up your car with gas in the United States, chances are high that probably about 10% of your gas is not actually uh, coming from fossil fuels. It's coming from ethanol. And we don't even think about it, right? You don't even contemplate the fact that there's ethanol in your gas. And I think that meat may become like that, where people will obtain meat But the norm will be for that meat not to be totally animal in its nature. And I think that people will just have a different view of what meat is, and it'll be far more diverse than what it is today.
0: And what is your vision for the Better Meat Company and for our global diet for the next 5, 10, 15 years
1: for two things. So one on the Better Meat Co., I think that what you're going to see from us is a scale-up of our fermentation technology to create a river of mycoprotein, that's what we call our product, uh, into the food industry. So we can produce really meat-like products from just fermenting potatoes and within less than a day. We can convert those into uh, products that people will really enjoy in the market. It's a high-protein product, it's a high-fiber product, it's a high-iron product, and unlike most plant-based foods it contains vitamin b12 because it's a product of microbial fermentation so In all, I think that the better mico is going to continue growing and scaling up its fermentation process. Now, on the other question that you asked me about the food industry in general, I think that we can go one of two paths. Now, I don't want to predict what's going to happen, but we can continue the path that we're on, which is continuing to raise more and more animals for food, which is not only horrible for those animals, but it's also suicidal for humanity. It is a leading cause of deforestation, biodiversity loss, public health crises. Pandemic amplifiers and more. Raising animals for food is a just a major threat. In fact, the United Nations recently put out a report called Preventing the Next Pandemic, in which they predict what are the top reasons we might have another pandemic. And number one, increasing demand for animal protein. Number two, intensification of agriculture, meaning confining more and more animals together. And number three, the bushmeat trade. So the uh, hunting of wildlife for their meat. So you know the top three reasons the United Nations says are gonna be the most likely causes of our next pandemic are all relating to humanity's desire to eat meat. So either we can continue satisfying our meat tooth with actual animal slaughter, which is a dead end path for us and will lead to absolutely terrible consequences for animals, for the planet and for human beings. Or we can start reducing our reliance on animals. We can move toward a system where yes, we can produce abundant amounts of delicious safe meat without the need to raise and slaughter billions of animals. So one of those paths we're gonna take and I'm working hard to make it the latter because I think there's a lot worth fighting for. We only have one planet and we need to fight for it, and that is going to start with what we're putting on our plates.
0: Yes, and well, we're glad that you're working on these market-based solutions because activism only does so much, and then we have to act in other ways that affect the whole market and affect all of society. So in closing, as you think about Uh, the future and the kind of world we're leaving the next generation, you know, what have been some of those important lessons for you? And what would you like young people to know, preserve, and remember?
1: One of the key barriers that people face is this pernicious thought that somebody else is going to be the one to save the world. It's not going to be somebody else. It's going to be you. And so if you think that you can't do it, you're probably right. You won't be able to do it. But if you think that actually you can get out on the field and start playing and start winning for the planet, then you should go do it. Maybe start your own company, invent your own technology, join one of these socially conscious companies, join the Better Meat Co. where There are lots of opportunities to actually advance technologies that can save the world. I don't believe that people are just going to have a moral revelation and say, okay, I'm going to stop driving, stop flying, stop eating meat. I think more likely people are going to figure out ways to engage in the activities that people want while at the same time doing it with a far lower footprint. I wish that people would do all those things, but sadly, I think we're going to need new technologies that allow us to engage in the types of activities that humans want to engage in with a much lower footprint on the planet. So my main recommendation is to get out onto the field and to start playing. Don't wait. Don't wait until you're an adult. Don't wait until somebody invites you. Don't wait until Uh, you've gotten some degree, just start today because the planet is getting hotter, the boat is sinking and we need you in the fight. So I'm a big believer that if you wanna learn how to do something, you just start doing it. You know, imagine if you were going to say, I wanna play soccer, I wanna learn how to play soccer. You don't learn how to play soccer by reading a bunch of books about how to play soccer. You get on the field and you start playing. And that's the same here with saving the planet. I think that it's time uh, for you, if you're listening, and you're looking for ideas or ways to get involved, please contact me. Go to BetterMeat.co. Again, that's BetterMeat.co, And get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you and, and chat about ways that uh, I might be able to be useful for you. But get out on the field and start playing because the planet needs you.
0: Exactly. And you've also spoken to a number of inspiring people in the business realm with your Business for Good podcast, which is also a, a great source for people to find out if not how they may get involved, but at least how they may support those companies that are doing their bit for the planet, also pursuing their business. So I just want to thank you for all that you're doing to raise awareness and to give us solutions. Thank you, Paul Shapiro and the Better Meat Company for providing tangible tasty and nutritious solutions to one of the biggest contributors to climate change. We all live on one planet. We call home. Thank you for creating market-based solutions to make the world a better place for future generations and adding your voice
2: to the one planet podcast. One planet podcast is produced by the creative process. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk and Xiaoshuahe with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews Producer on this podcast with Sarsha He. Digital Media Coordinator is Hannah Sara brown Thin Music is written and performed by Juan Sanchez. We hope you've enjoyed this program. If you'd like to get involved in One Planet Podcast and be part of the Climate Change Solution, just drop us a line at teen at oneplanetpodcast.org. Thank you for listening.